0: Well, good morning. Beloved people love people. And hurt people hurt people. And I know that because I've been the hurt-er before. Uh, when Marianne and I were first married uh, just a couple of years ago, um, I would get hurt by an offer. Now, some of you know what an ophir is, and some of you don't. An offer is when a baseball player comes up to bat in a game, and they don't get any hits. Uh, so you'd go 0 for 3, or you go 0 for 4. That means four at bats and no hits. The batting average would drop, and I would kind of come home and mope around. <laughs> uh, Mary would try to encourage me, and I would pout, and I would whine, and I would say things that I shouldn't say, and I would go into my man cave. And you know what I was doing? I was thinking about me. And I hurt my wife. Hurt people. Hurt people. And you know what? Uh, Before you throw stones at me, you've done it too, right? I'm not alone. Something goes wrong in our lives, and we're tempted to be short and irritable and frustrated, and we actually hurt the people that we say we love the most, people in our own families, people in our circle of influence. Hurt people hurt people. But beloved people love people. So my question is, are you truly a source of love and blessing for other people? You know, a few weeks ago, um, one of our staff members kind of introduced me to a term that I'd never heard before, and it's the term enterobang. Anybody know what an enterobang is? I never, I never, I never heard of it. But here, here's what it is. It's a question mark and an exclamation point put together. And I believe that all of us have in our hearts an in Bank. But let me simplify it. Uh, your life might look more like this. Here you are. And in your heart is a question mark, primarily. And the question is: am I loved? Do I have value? Do I matter? Do I have worth? And you know, we develop all kinds of tactics and all kinds of strategies and we set all kinds of goals and we go through life. But at the end of the day, the people around us feel used. And sometimes they feel abused because we're trying to answer a question and we're using other people around us to get an answer to that question Do I have worth? Do I have value? Am I loved? The other way to go through life is in your heart, you've got an exclamation point. And, and it's interesting, what this person does is they go through life with goals and dreams and visions and plans, too. Sometimes it might even be the same goals dreams and visions and plans. But what happens with this people, this person, is the people around them feel loved. They feel served. They don't feel used. They don't feel abused. Because this person knows, I am loved! Exclamation point. I do have worth. I do matter. And that changes everything. And so my question to you today is, uh, do you have the exclamation-pointed heart? Or the question-marked heart? Now, the honest truth is, most of us have the interbang heart, right? It's a little mixture of both. And what this message is meant to do today is to try to minimize the question mark and maximize the exclamation point. This is so important because the world, our own flesh, and the devil himself wage war against us to convince us that we are not beloved. You know, no doubt you've suffered some trauma in your life, and because of it, you wonder, do I have worth? Do I have matter? Am I loved? And throughout the whole Bible, and especially on the cross, God is sending us a message. I love you fiercely, freely, fully. And you know what? That should change everything. So turn today in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1 and we're going to find that these truths, if we access them and assimilate them, they will help us to minimize the question mark and maximize the exclamation point because we will be secure, we'll be assured of our standing before God. Yes, hurting people hurt people, but beloved people love people. And more importantly, they love God. And that's where we're headed today. Now, this is the first in our series, Living New, first message. And to say that I'm excited about it would be kind of an understatement. Uh, it's a 13-week series to help us bear the fruit of new life. And if you look around, you see it. Six characteristics, beloved child, self-feeder, servant, investor, disciple, and missionary. And today we're starting with beloved child because that's the root, the foundation of everything. Now, this list of six has been birthed from the Bible. Uh, it's not an exhaustive list. You're not going to find this list like this anywhere in the Bible but it's a tool that we have preferably developed for our local body here at CBC to focus on some key characteristics of what it means to be a disciple. Uh, don't turn this list into a religious checklist. Uh, what you should do is click on each, li- each word and a phrase, and you can find something about these things in virtually every book of the Bible. So, in this 13 week series, we're just scratching the surface on what it means to be a disciple of Jesus because of the Bible. God himself and the journey that we're on are just too massive, too complex, too multifaceted to ever be contained in a list of six, right? But we believe that these six characteristics can be a helpful way for us to just kind of organize our thoughts, focus our efforts, and frame our pursuit of growth in godliness. I recently posted um, a bold statement about this on Facebook. If you will attend all 13 services, okay? If you will do all the personal Bible study homework, we've got a workbook for you, right? And I know this is like intimidating. It's like, dude, a 300-page workbook? Are you kidding me? You think I'm a seminary student? I'm going to tell you what my Greek professor used to say. By the inch, it's a cinch. By the yard, it's hard. So don't try to do it by the yard. Don't do the whole book. Just do a few pages a day, (laughs) and you're going to get all the way through it. But... If you will do all the personal Bible study homework for all 13 weeks, if you will join and attend a life group to reinforce and help you apply the fruit of new life disciplines, and if you will ask God, that's prayer, to help you live new, then this fall at CBC could be the most significant period of spiritual development in your walk with Christ in your entire life. I honestly believe that's true. (laughs) If you haven't already, you can pick up this workbook out in the foyer. It's a suggested donation, five bucks. If you don't have it, that's okay. And it's not too late for you to join a life group our Life Groups uh, are going to be focused on this material over the next 13 weeks. You can sign up at cbconline.org, or you can come on Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, and just join a group. Um, life Group team is going to be out in the foyer after the service, uh, so I'm excited about it. All right, with all that as background, let's look at the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. In the original Greek language, believe it or not, this is one sentence, one whole sentence. It's like the guy that wrote this, the Apostle Paul, was so thrilled with who God is and what God is doing that he, he didn't even bother to put periods and commas. <laughs> Here we go. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. To the praise of His glory. Now, our focus for today is on something we call assurance of salvation. Helping you know that you know that you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die. That you are a beloved child of God. So you can have assurance of your salvation because you're a beloved child of God. Now, where is that in the Bible? Many, many, many places. But I want to focus your attention to the last part of Verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. In love, that's beloved part, he predestined us for adoption. That's the child part. We're beloved children of God. Now, how does an orphaned rebel, because that's who we are apart from Christ, become a beloved child? Well, in this passage, you can see the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit at work. God the Father, it says, chooses and adopts us. That's verses 3 to 6. God the Son, Jesus, redeems and forgives us. That's verses 7 through 12. And then God the Holy Spirit indwells and secures us. That's verses 13 and 14. See, it's been the eternal plan of God within the council of the Trinity, even before He made anything, to make us his beloved children. I mean, that's just an amazing thing to me. The counsel of God, Father, Son, Spirit, one God, three persons, uh, having some type of a divine conversation of some sort, deciding to adopt you. That's just crazy. I don't know how to process that. That blows me away. So no wonder the first part of this starts with Paul blessing God. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So that makes me want to ask a question. Just how blessed am I? Just how blessed are you? How beloved are we anyway? Well, I don't have time to unpack everything, but let me just mention five things today. First, I'm chosen. Now, most of us know what it's like not to be chosen. Most of us know what it's like to be passed by. We've experienced the sting of rejection by a guy or a girl, by a friend or coach or boss. But God chooses us. Look at verse 4. He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. So don't think of yourself as having chosen God primarily. It's really the other way around. God's chosen you first. Jesus even said this, John 15. He goes... You didn't choose me, but I chose you. The wonder is not that we would choose God. The wonder is that God would choose us. He shouldn't have. He didn't have to, but he did. And did you see that you're beloved, you're chosen before the creation of the universe? He chose me. Not an undefined conglomeration of people, but me, personally. And you, if you're in Christ... He personally chose us. John Piper says this, He did not choose me because he saw me as a believer, but so that I might become a believer. He did not choose me because I chose him, but so that I might choose him. He did not choose me because I was holy or good, but so that I might become holy and good. It's called unconditional election. And when we get this in our guts, that we are chosen by God, we will find Man, this is an antidote for my insecurities. This is an antidote for my fears. This is an antidote for my need to be accepted and my desire to be respected. This knowledge can set you free to be a blessing to other people. This fact ought to fuel our assurance. See, God doesn't un-choose us. He doesn't go, oh, you were in my family, but now you're not. That's not the way God operates. You were beloved, you were chosen before the creation of the universe, and that ought to change everything. Hey, maybe when you were a kid, nobody ever said, I want to sit by you on the bus. Or maybe you played ball in your neighborhood, and and the kid that was the captain of the team never picked you. Or maybe nobody ever hit a knee and said to you, "Uh, would you be my wife? I want to marry you. Or maybe what you remember is getting call after call from prospective employers and they're saying, somebody else got the job. We chose somebody else. I mean, a lot of us have experienced a lot of unchosenness in life. And you hate what it's done to you, but now you're hurting other people because you've been hurt so many times. See, rejected people reject people. And maybe God brought you here today to say to you, hey, no matter what has happened in your life, no matter the amount of rejection you've experienced on this planet, you aren't really rejected. You are beloved. You have been chosen by God. The most magnificent, the most impressive, the most awesome person in the universe has chosen you. And he says, now you can give that love away. Because you see, Chosen people choose people. So how am I beloved? One, I'm chosen. Two, I'm adopted. I'm adopted. Now, are you really in touch with the blessing of what it means to be adopted by God? I mean, he didn't have to do that, but he did it. Look at verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, when verse 5 was written, according to Roman law, the person who had been adopted gained all the rights of the natural-born child. In the eyes of the law, he or she was a new person if adopted. All the debts, all the obligations connected with the previous family were abolished just as if they never existed. And this is what Paul says God has done for us. We were orphans apart from Christ, dead in our trespasses and sins. We had piled up a big sin debt but God through Jesus took us into his family and his adoption wipes out all the past and we can live new. And our adoption wasn't an afterthought to God. He didn't discover one day, whoa, those are some sinful orphans out there. I got to come up with an idea. I know, adoption. No, he predestined our adoption, planned it in advance. And that just blows me away. You know, I asked some friends who had experience with adoption to give me some insights. One mother wrote to me, my husband and I adopted our girls as newborns. We did not have any conditions or requests. We wanted them for who they were or not, for what they would do or add to our family. I want to stress again, they were newborns. They did not have a long list of accounts, it is, still do. And then she unpacks what this means in terms of our relationship with God. What does this mean to you? It means that God loves you and adopted you regardless of anything you bring to the table. Nothing makes you unworthy. Jesus Christ is what makes you worthy. His lavish love is based on Him, not us. Now, that's thrilling. I don't have to perform. To be adopted, to stay adopted. One adopted son wrote this. I was adopted by my non-biological father when I was about two years old. My mother was a single mother... Until her marriage. For as long as I can remember, my dad has been dad to me. My biological father has never held that place in my life. My dad never treated me any differently than my half-siblings. I wish more men were like him. This relationship is directly relatable to our relationship with the Lord because God doesn't care about your circumstances prior to entering His family. He loves you as His own. You are in His treatment of you is not based on how good or bad you were, what zip code you're from, or any other circumstantial details. He wants to pick up the pieces of a flawed past to be your dad. He takes the mistakes of your life and uses them to mold you and those around you for his glory. He wants to pick up where others left off and claim ownership of your life. He's the perfect leader and example of what being a father truly means. Some of us never had a great dad. Unless you've come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord and you've been adopted in the family of God because God the Father is a great dad. Our adoption is not based on our being worthy or our being attractive or our being cute. It's based on the sheer grace of God that he planned before the world even began. This fact ought to fuel our assurance. Why? Well, because God's not going to adopt and then unadopt. He knows we're unworthy. And he chose us and predestined us for adoption And so no matter where you've been or what you've done, you're good to go. Somebody might be here today, and you've got a history of broken relationships. Things get hard, and you tend to walk away. Sometimes it's physically. A lot of times it's emotionally. Why is that? Well, maybe a mom or a dad walked out on you. Maybe a friend or a spouse left you. And now you don't have staying power because, you see, abandoned people abandoned people. But maybe God brought you here today to say, the most important person in the universe wants you. God has adopted you. And that changes everything. You don't have to run from relationships anymore. Because you see, adopted people adopt people. How am I beloved? I am chosen, I am adopted, and I am redeemed. See, being beloved, being chosen, being adopted, it actually costs, and it costs Christ a lot. Look at verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood. Now, what's redemption? Well, that's paying a price to purchase someone from captivity, from slavery. We were slaves to sin, held captive by the devil, But Jesus set us free from slavery to sin. We died in our place. He paid the price so we could be set free. And what was the price that He paid? His own blood. It was costly. Adoptive parents get a question about adoption: isn't it expensive? And the answer is yes. It costs financially, it costs emotionally, it costs physically. But they say, our children are totally worth it. One set of adoptive parents told me they would go through all of it again three times backwards and barefoot to accomplish their adoptions. They spent themselves willingly and so did Jesus. Our adoption cost Jesus his very life's blood. And if that doesn't prove to you that you're a beloved child, then I don't know what will. I mean, how much are you worth to Christ? See, some... Something is worth what someone is willing to pay. And the Bible said Jesus shed his precious blood. Now, question. How much is the blood of God worth? An infinite Savior paid the ultimate price for you. For you. I mean, yes, for the world. But you're part of that world. And Jesus did it for You, you are worth that much to God. And this ought to fuel our sense of assurance because Jesus doesn't shed his blood in vain. We stay redeemed. We stay purchased. We stay set free. There's no greater price that can be paid. You're not going to do some great work that's going to pay for this adoption, to pay for this redemption. Maybe you haven't been feeling like you're worth very much. Maybe you sense that your mom or dad or teacher or coach didn't value you or treasure you unless you performed. And now the people around you don't feel treasured unless they perform. And you pressure them. You say things like, I don't know why I married you. Can't you do anything right? Listen, devalued people devalue people. And maybe God brought you here today to say, You have value. You matter so much that Jesus redeemed you by spilling out his stunningly precious and infinitely expensive blood for you. And because that is true, you could bless other people. You can connect with them in a way, and you, can, you can't. You can say, you know what? I can't, I can't redeem you like Christ did, but I will gladly sacrifice my time and my talent and my treasure for you because I value you. I just want to be in relationship with you. See, valued people, value people, redeem people, redeem people. How, my beloved, I'm chosen, adopted, redeemed, and I'm forgiven. Forgiven. Now, I. I've said many times already, beloved people love people and hurt people hurt people. But it's also true that guilty people guilt people. And maybe that's where you've been living lately. It doesn't have to stay that way. Look at verse 7, last part. In him, we have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, if you are in Christ, you are forgiven. Past sins, forgiven. Present sins, forgiven. What about future sins? No, they're not forgiven. No, future sins, forgiven already. You know, let me just read a couple of sentences out of our Living New Study. And again, if you don't have one of these, you can pick one up today out in the foyer. When Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins, all of them were in the future from his vantage point. All of them. We're in the future from his vantage point, right? That means that his death paid for all your sins, even the ones you haven't committed yet. You know, this week, one of our worship pastors, Brian Karras, uh, shared with me what I thought was a, was a great illustration about this very point. See, we look at our lives chronologically, right? So we think, okay, I've sinned this much. This is how much is forgiven. What about those sins? Maybe they're not forgiven. Okay, I'll confess those. Now they're forgiven. What about these? Not forgiven yet. Better get on my knees and confess. Maybe I better go to church. And we go on and on through life, and we've fundamentally misunderstood what forgiveness is all about. With Christ, He looks at us like this. He knows it all. And it's all totally forgiven Already, you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, aren't I supposed to confess my sins? And the answer is, yes, of course you're supposed to confess your sins. But when you confess your sins, you're confessing forgiven sins. You're not trying to enter into a relationship with God again. You're going to try to restore fellowship with God again. Again. By His grace, we're forgiven. The slate has been wiped clean totally. Our sins have been cast, the Bible says, into the depths of the sea. They've been taken as far as the east is from the west. And God treats us like He doesn't even remember our sins anymore. And yes, the Bible says that God is a God of wrath. He hates sin because it hurts people. He hates our sin because our sin hurts the people around us. He hates it. But the Bible teaches that we do deserve the wrath of God because of our sin, but the wrath of God was poured out. Let's say this is a bucket of wrath. And when the wrath of God is poured out against my sin, here's what I find. It's empty. Why is it empty? Because the wrath of God has already been poured out on Jesus. He's already taken it. That's why the Bible says there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1. So live like it. Forgive yourself. See, his forgiving love for you is higher, deeper, wider, and longer than you could possibly imagine. And this ought to fuel your sense of assurance of your salvation. Why? I'm forgiven of all my past, present, and future sins, not because I'm so awesome, but because he is. Maybe there's a dad here or a teen here. You're going places you shouldn't go. You've been doing things you shouldn't do, and the guilt on you is real heavy. And remember, guilty people guilt people, and that's the way you've been dealing with people around you lately. Anybody has let you down, anybody who's not come through for you in the way you thought they should, they get it. You've been coming down hard on people around you, and God brought you here today to say, hey, wait a minute, time out. You've been blessed. You've been forgiven, so you be forgiving. Forgiven people forgive people. How am I beloved? How am I chosen? I've been chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and I'm sealed. I'm sealed. Sometimes adoptive parents are asked this question. Aren't you afraid the birth family's going to come and they're going to adopt the kids back? They're going to take those adopted kids back? That's understandable. But once you understand the legalities of adoption, you know your family can never be undone. One adoptive mother says, we were sealed, approved by multiple authorities, social workers and judges, sealed forever and approved. Our kids share our name, have it legally forever. There is no undoing. And in a more perfect way, that same truth applies to us in Christ. Look at verse 13. And in him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. See, the Holy Spirit is our guarantee, our guarantee that we're going to go to heaven someday. The Greek word is Erebon, and in the Greek business world, this Erebon, this guarantee was part of the purchase price. It was an advance payment that served as a promise that the rest would be paid. So the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. See, when you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, comes and lives inside us, and He gives us the power to live out this life in Christ, and then He guarantees our ultimate salvation. So having the Holy Spirit in your life is just a foretaste of what's to come. You know, in the movie Toy Story, one compelling image that has stuck with me is is the seal, (laughs) the the Sharpie signature on Woody's foot (laughs) that he belongs to Andy, right? God's mark on us is deeper and longer-lived than any Sharpie. His mark is infinite. His mark is eternal. And he writes his name not on our foot, but in our heart. He sends his Holy Spirit into our lives and he says, you are mine. And you know what? The devil can't take you away from me. And you know what? Your doubts can't take you away from me. You are the property of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You belong to me and nobody. And I mean nobody ever better mess with you because you belong to me. <laughs> and that should fuel our assurance, Right? Because our adoption in Christ can never be undone. We are sealed, eternally secure. Maybe you were abandoned some way in the past by a friend or a pastor or a boss, and now you're just about to walk out on a relationship yourself. Maybe you're tempted to break your wedding vows and leave your kids. God says, wait, wait, wait. You're a beloved child. You are blessed. You are sealed. I'm not going to leave you or ever forsake you. You are secure with me. Now give that same sense of security, that same sense of permanence to your spouse, to your kids. See, secure people, secure people. How am I beloved, chosen, adopted, redeemed, forgiven, and sealed? And when we are assured of all of these truths, you know what happens? We get an exclamation point in our hearts. And the people around us begin to feel loved. I'm a beloved child, not because I'm worthy, but in spite of the fact that I'm unworthy, and it's all because of God's grace. Now, in verse 6, we read why God does all of this. It's to the praise of His glorious grace. And then twice more in these verses, that phrase is summarized. To the praise of His glory. It's in verse 12 to verse 14. And yes, we're the ones who receive all these amazing gifts, but it's not about us. It's about God and His glory. And you know what? I think it's really a good thing that God makes it about God, not about us. Because He's infinitely good, infinitely wise, and infinitely strong. If a human makes it about a human, then whatever he makes is going to be myopic and flawed and selfish and fallen. But if God makes it about God, then whatever He makes is going to be expansive and inclusive and beautiful, and perfect, and glorious, and loving, and unselfish, and gracious, because that's who He is. We get the good, He gets the glory. So I'm glad He does all this to the praise of His glorious... What? Grace. To the praise of His glorious grace. What is grace? It's unmerited favor, it's undeserved kindness, it's an unearned gift. We are made, beloved children by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, not our works, not our church going, not dotting the religious I's and crossing the religious T's. I've said it here many times before, there is nothing we need do to make God love us more, and there's nothing we can do to make God love us less. I have great worth, apart from my performance, Because Christ gave his life for me. He imparted great value to me. I'm deeply loved, fully pleasing, totally forgiven. I'm accepted and complete in Christ. And as Manhattan pastor Tim Keller reminds us, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. I'm a beloved child. You know, I asked a friend who's a calligrapher down in Dayton, uh, the wife of a pastor friend that I know, to actually write some truths from Ephesians chapter 1 for us on a piece of paper. And so we have these available for you out in the foyer. Now, I'm going to ask you to read it like that, but we're going to read it like this. So let's just read it out loud. These are, this is a summary of the truths. So read it out loud and read it like you mean it, okay? I am a beloved child. Blessed be God. I have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Even before He made the world, He chose me. In Christ, I am holy and blameless in His sight. I've been adopted into God's family. He's my I'm His child. I have been redeemed, set free from sin's penalty by the blood of Christ. I am fully and freely forgiven because of the riches of God's grace, which He has lavished on me. I'm headed toward my inheritance in heaven. God is making everything in my life work out according to His loving, good, and wise plan. God's Spirit lives in me as a guarantee that He will give me all that He has promised. I am eternally secure in Christ So I praise God for his glorious grace that he has poured out on me and on all who are in Christ. That's good stuff. It's just a summary. It's kind of like the R.D.V., the Rick Duncan version. (laughs) You can pick this up out in the foyer. (laughs) You can pick this up out in the foyer. Listen, it's time It's time for many of you to stop listening to the voice of untruth and start listening to the voice of truth. So how do we access this blessing of being beloved? Well, it's very simple. You have to be in Christ. In fact, in this paragraph, this phrase, in Christ, in Him, in the beloved, occurs ten times. And this is really important. It's important because... Let's say this piece of paper is you. (laughs) And you know what the world does to us? The world trashes us. The world discards us. The world stomps on us. The world treats us like litter. But you know what God wants to do? God says, I want you to come to me. And when we come to him, we find that God picks us up. (laughs) God straightens us out. And then what God wants to do, I'm going to let this Bible here that talks about Christ represent Christ. What God does is he puts us in Christ. So that everything that has happened to Christ has happened to us. To be in Christ means that you're in his realm. That you're enveloped by him. That all that he is and all that he has done applies to you. See, where you are changes who you are. You're in Christ. And you're going to live life with him above you, beneath you, to your right, to your left, and in front and behind. I got a question. When did that happen for you? And some people might say, well, I don't know. I've been around church. I guess I've just kind of always been in Christ. Well, that's not the teaching of the Bible. The teaching of the Bible is that we are naturally apart from Christ, out of Christ. You need to move to being in Christ. And maybe today is the day for you to move from out of Christ to be in Christ. And if you come to him, all the benefits of being a blessed child are yours. Maybe you came today and you're going to say, Like you can say in the program, I'm not assured of my salvation, but I want to be sure. And so today I want to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. On the screen is a prayer that you could pray. Dear Lord Jesus, I do not deserve to be saved. I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but I believe you love me. I believe you died on the cross, my place to pay for my sin. I believe you rose from the grave. Choose me. Adopt me. Redeem and forgive me. Come into my heart and seal me with your Spirit. Give me assurance of my salvation so I might live for you from this day forward. And if that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, pray it today. And, and, and there's a program. You can let us know in the program. Hey, I pray that prayer. And we're not going to bug you and harass you, but we would love to help you grow so you can tear it off and drop it in the offering basket so we can help you grow in your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, turn our question-marked hearts. Am I love? Do I matter? Into exclamation pointed hearts. So that we can say, I'm a beloved child to the praise of the glory of God's grace. Do this for us, Lord, so that the next time we go over three or over four in life, it doesn't mess with our identity. So that we can be a blessing to others. Blessed be God. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen.